giving up on the meaning of life. Giving up on the meaning of life. I saw that in a journal this past week and it grabbed me. It's the title of a lecture that a theologian from Yale, Miloslav Volf, is going to deliver at another university in another state on Friday, February 7th. Now, obviously, I haven't heard the lecture. I haven't read it. But I want to tell you right now from the title, he's right. He's right. God's people all the way through the scripture never struggled or even bothered with the question, what is the meaning of life? What they sought to know and what they found was, what is the purpose of life? What is the purpose of life? And that's a great question, not just for believers individually, but also for the body of Christ. What is our purpose? What are we doing here? It's a significant question. A few years ago, a TED Talk became famous, and then a book followed, and it's called The Power of Why by Simon Sinek. And the book was written for businesses and organizations, and in it he describes something known as the golden circle, the golden circle is three concentric circles. The outside circle answers the question, what? And that is for a business, you know, what are you making? What are the outcomes? What are the results? Then inside is another circle that is the, answers the question, how? What are our values? What are the core processes that we are involved in? And then, though, he said, inside is the golden circle. The smallest, most concentric, of, and the most vital of the circles. And it answers the question, why? Why are we here? Why do we bother to get out of bed in the morning? Why do we do the job that we do? Why do we participate in the activities? And he said the problem with many organizations and corporations in America is they spend all their energy on the what. What are we doing? And miss the most important question of all, which is why do we bother to do it. And he said, if you'll answer the why, the how and the what will flow. And I think that holds true for our lives as well. He gives the example of Samuel Pierpont Langley. Have you heard of Samuel Langley? I hadn't. Let me tell you, he was wealthy. He was influential. He was connected. He had a large government grant. Samuel Pierpont Langley wanted to be the first man to fly because he wanted to be famous. And he wanted to get in on a new industry on the ground floor and become rich. But he wasn't the first people to fly in the United States. You know them. They were brothers. They were underfunded. They had all volunteers, had no desire to become famous, and had no business plan. What they had was a dream a flight, and that one day people would be able to fly. And Sinek argues that the Wright brothers beat out Samuel Pim Pierpont Langley because they had a compelling why, whereas all Langley could focus on was the what. It is essential, not only for a church, but individuals to figure out what are we doing here? Why do we bother to get out of bed? And so as Matt told you in the announcements, we're going to spend um, the next several Sundays talking about why we're here, how we're going to do, uh, and, and what our values are, how we're going to be, and then what things might follow from that. But let's start with why. Why do we get out of bed? Why do we show up here this morning? Well, as Christians right away, it, we know that we have to take our cue from Jesus. What was his purpose? What was he doing here? What did, why did Jesus think he got out of bed in the morning? Well, fortunately, I think you already know the answer. It's pretty clear. Jesus thought that his purpose 
was the kingdom of God. And you know already that Jesus taught more about the kingdom of God than any other subject. And the subject of most of his parables was the kingdom of God. The subject of the Sermon on the Mount was life in the kingdom of God. The main petition of the Lord's Prayer has to do with the coming of the kingdom of God. And then just to top it off, when Jesus got a do-over, when he died and rose from the dead and was given 40 more days on earth, what did he do, says the book of Acts? He taught his disciples for 40 more days on the kingdom of God. That was his purpose. That's what he was doing here. That's why Jesus got out of bed in the morning. Now, I think it'd be important to try to identify what the kingdom of God is. And, and let me tell you how I think of it. And I think, uh, I, I, I think there's fairly good biblical evidence to support it. But basically, the way I think of the kingdom of God is it is bringing heaven to earth. Let me say it another way. It is making earth more like heaven. It is helping the world, people in the world, the systems in the world become as God originally intended. Bringing everything in line with God's original desire and partnering with God to do it. That is the kingdom of God. And that's why Jesus got out of bed. And my basic assumption is that ought to be the reason I get out of bed too. Now, there's some wonderful advantages to this. The, the first one is that a lot of us spend our lives looking to try to figure out what we're supposed to do. And organizations do it, and individuals do it. And the great thing is that we get our purpose given to us from the highest authority possible. We don't have to think about what we're doing here. We know what we're doing here. We need to think about how to do it. Henry Ford was criticized, as you may know, by uh, offering people a variety of, of options of color for their Model T as long as it was black. And people abused him. You know, there ought to be more options. And this is what Ford said. Something to the effect of, if I would have listened to people and what they wanted, what they were asking for was a faster horse. He knew at another level what people really needed. And I think so often in my life, I'm just asking God for a faster horse. Made my life comfortable Make my kids have a relatively smooth sailing. Make things line up for me. Let me be happy. And not, none of that is unimportant. But that's just a faster horse. And God is taking it, and we see this in the sun, to a higher level by saying, this is what it's about. It's about joining me and making this world, the people and systems of this world, function as God originally intended so that heaven comes to earth. And the beautiful thing, another thing about this is, I think when we do that, then lo and behold, we discover our meaning. We, we discover meaning as a byproduct of serving the purpose for which God has us here. I know you know the old story, but, but I like to tell it. And there's uh, uh, three people on a job site, stonemasons. And you come to the first stonemason and you say, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm doing my job. And you come to the second stonemason and you say, what are you doing? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, carving, cutting stones for that church. But you come to the third stonemason and say, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a great cathedral. He's got meaning from clearly understanding his purpose. And then the other beautiful thing about this is that's really what's attractive to people. That, I, I, 
spent, as, as you know, a couple weeks in Burundi. And this is what I noticed about the worship service, because we attend and participate in a lot of them. They're usually three hours long. There aren't cushions on the pew. Rarely, if ever, is there electricity or a sound system. There's no nursery. There's no pager. You see all the mothers nursing their children, wiping up urine from the floor, and then repositioning their child on their back for the rest of the three hours. And I thought about how much of our time and energy as a pastor I've spent trying to anticipate every need that people might have and meet all those needs so that they can comfortably come into God's presence. And then I get really surprised when people say, I'd like some more comfort. This is getting too hard. Let's try somewhere else. I've been chasing what they think is valuable and important. And the beautiful thing about a higher purpose is it's the higher purpose that calls people forward. It's the higher purpose that draws people out from uh, the woodwork and from all over to be a part of something greater than themselves. It's a higher purpose that gets people to walk several miles to come to a worship service. And I do the same thing in my individual life. I try to gauge what people want, and then I try to see if I can meet it in some way so that they'll be happy with me. Let me tell you, it's a lot simpler and easier life to live to say, what's my purpose? I'm going to tackle that purpose. And that that ultimately is what is pleasing to God, and that's really what I have to do. And you get this higher purpose, and I believe people will flow to it. Cynic points out, 1963, the mall, Washington, D.C., in a day before the kind of communication we have today in social media, 250,000 people show up at the right time, at the right place, when Martin Luther King gives his famous I Have a Dream speech. And Cynic points out that they didn't come to see Martin Luther King. They came because of the dream and the purpose that he articulated, which was inside every one of them. They went miles from all over, showed up at the right place, at the right time, moved heaven, moved earth to get there because of the higher purpose. Not because of a charismatic figure. We get this purpose down in our lives, people will be drawn to our orbit. We get this purpose into our church and people will come out of the woodwork to participate in something that is aligning with the very purposes from God from the beginning of time, make this world look as God intended it to look. It doesn't mean it's easy. And it doesn't mean sometimes I don't get off track or confused or I forget. About six weeks ago, I was in one of my whiny moods, which happens on occasion, and my wife usually gets the benefit of this. And so I'm saying to her, you know, I mean, your job, she's a neonatal nurse practitioner. I said, you know, yours is so clear. You go, you have sick babies, you work with the physicians, God, you save their lives. And they come in weighing less than two pounds, and you have a reunion in 10 years, they weigh 100 pounds. I said, you know what you're doing, and it makes a difference. And I said to her, sometimes I just don't know what I'm doing here. She's a good spouse, so she listened. Then the next morning, she got up. She was dressed. She was leaving for her job to save lives. And she says to me, oh, about what you said last night. She said, I know what you are doing. I know why you are here. Why is that? 
She said, you bring people hope. I think so. That's not just what I do. That's what we all do. We know the world can look different and better than it does. And we bring them that hope and that possibility that it can happen. When I got back from the trip, you know, as you probably know, when you cross several time zones, your sleep schedule gets a little messed up. So first day I'm back, I'm up, 4.30 in the morning, and I'm awake. And God gives me a dream while I am awake and shows me the pictures of the orphans in Burundi. And by the way, we're collecting donations this morning at the altar rail uh, to help feed them. But gives the picture and says, this is why you're here. This is why your church is here, not just for orphans in Africa but for people who are orphaned anywhere. Because people can be orphaned biologically by the death of a parent at whatever age. I was orphaned when my father died last year. People can be orphaned because they don't have access to water, food, education. People can be orphaned because they're locked in addiction. People can be orphaned because they're in a nursing home and nobody has walked through their threshold in years to say something to them all sorts of things orphan people and God said you and your church are to remove the barriers that prevent people from living fully the life that God intended them to live as God's beloved children I had that vision I got out of bed that's worth getting up. That's worth getting up. I, I, want, I want to be a part of that. Now, I, yeah, I'm a homebody. Um, I'm a homebody. And so two weeks in Burundi, that's like probably a week too long. Um, and, and I've sworn that I'm not getting on a plane going anywhere for the next six months. Just not. But I have to tell you that this week, I'm out of town two days. Next week, three and Matt articulated the announcements. It's what I'm doing. I gather these orphan pastors and orphan churches and try to mother hen them. Try to give them some hope. Try to patch them up. Strengthen them. Get them back in the battle. Because they are so important. Because they are dealers. And they are dealers in hope. And I'll get up, and I'll drive, and I'll sleep away, home, away from home to do that. And I've got to tell you, though, a couple things. Uh, if you decide that you want to be a part of the mission that the Father gave Jesus and we are now a part of, I, by the way, I believe it's the same mission given to Israel. They just couldn't and didn't pull it off. Abraham was told, you're going to pour out blessing. You're going to be a part of fixing this thing. And... Israel struggled to do that, but Jesus picked up the ball and carried it across the line. But if you do this, I want to tell you, you will never run out of brokenness. You will never run out of people orphaned by life. You will never run out of pain, illness, loneliness. And so the first thing I want to tell you is, be careful. You're going to, one of the things that can happen to you is you're going to get anesthetized. It's one more African orphan, or 50 more African orphans, or one more person in the hospital. It just, and, 
One of the things is we start to see crowds rather than individuals. And we start to see the overwhelming face of need rather than the individual faces. I mean, that was the beauty of Jesus. He's the Messiah because he sees individuals, not crowds. He picks them out and knows their names. But you, be careful you don't get anesthetized. I know there's a lot of need out there, and I know you can't meet it all. But the tendency is just to write it off and become numb to it. I'm reminded of a story of a senior rabbi and a, a younger rabbi. They've just come back from a funeral, a devastating situation. A young man dies leaves his wife and two small children. Finally, the young rabbi speaks to the older rabbi. He said, that was tough. He said, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you can do this and keep going into those situations. Older rabbi didn't say a thing. So then the younger rabbi says, offering something again, says, I guess what happens, he says to the older rabbi, you must get used to it. At which point, the older rabbi turns to the younger rabbi and says, son, The day you get used to it is the day you get the hell out. I believe that. The day people's pain and needs don't mean anything to you, you better check your gauges. You better look at this. Because they meant something to Jesus. The other thing is this. This is my fifth trip to Burundi. I think there are more poor children than there were the first year. They come from everywhere. There's still people without shoes. There's still churches meeting under trees. It's just a lot. And it comes in waves. And you just wonder, does it make any difference? Well, um, fourth and fifth day we were there, the team watched a video. The video was about the Good Samaritan and different people commenting on it. But my favorite comment was from Archbishop Desmond Tutu. And this is what he said. He said, what is the ocean? What is the sea but a collection of individual drops that have come together? He said, you might not think your efforts are worth anything, but when they are collected, they make a difference. And I thought about that. And I think I'm not naive. We in the Alamo Heights family of churches, we're not going to come up with an ocean. Probably not a river not a lake. But I believe if we get tuned in to our purpose, we will create one big wave.